Welcome to the first episode of The Art of KCF. Today's essay is called The Art of Collapse. At my previous place of employment, colleagues in the anthropology department offered a course called Collapse. As an avid learner, I longed for a different scenario in which I could have taken the course and experienced a fulfilling and rich learning community digging deeply into the subject. As it stands, I did not get to take the course, and on a quick glance at my previous place of employment's website, I was unable to find the course still being offered today. So sadly, I cannot report the verbatim course description for you here. What I can remember is that it was an elective course, most likely fulfilling the learning of non-anthro majors hitting on the general ed requirements, and it explored the collapse of society. I liked the idea of a course looking at the collapse of civilization, not because I want civilizations to fail, but rather it helped me feel hopeful about the future. We live in a future I can only imagine was rather inconceivable to people of the Roman Empire. And yet, their civilization collapsed, the empire fell, and the world kept turning. It's difficult for me to stay out of despair in these times. On the other hand, however, I have food on my table, a large roof over my head, a view of the lake, and these things help me sleep at night, if only to acknowledge that this may not be forever. But it is now, and for that I remain grateful. These reminders help keep my nervous system in check. I am currently safe. I am loved and cared for by friends and family. I love my wife. I love our home. I'm mostly able to tap into my joy every day I get to paint or spend any time in my home studio. It's a pretty good place to be if the world collapsed. Do you ever think about how our heart has a finite amount of beats? I think about this a lot. Maybe more than most because I'm an anxious human but also because I have an irregular, irregular heartbeat, meaning my heartbeat is not steady. It regularly skips and flutters, and the skips arrive in an irregular manner. Sometimes I imagine this is good, that my heart is uniquely suited to this body. And the doctors assure me, all is in good working order. When the heart flutters become too much for me, I ask for a monitor. And after the insurance provider with no medical training approves my doctor's orders, I get to live with a monitor taped to my chest for three days as I diligently push the button when I feel an event. These events are studied, and I receive the word back from the evaluators that all is fine. Did you know that it's more likely for you to feel your heart flutter when you lay on your right side? This knowledge, brought to you by a late-night Google session, on a glowing phone in the dark, as I laid awake taking deep breaths and trying not to panic as I laid on my right side, and imagined my heart doing the equivalent of an Olympic-level women's gymnastic floor routine within my chest cavity. At nighttime, the terror creeps in the most. What's that sound, I think, as the house creaks? Or when something taps against the exterior of the walls keeping me safe from the outside? Vimo sleeps so soundly, hardly ever awoken by the terrors of night. I like to think it's because I stay vigilant, on alert, hand hovering ever so slightly above her back as I ensure she's breathing. I am most aware of my breath in times of panic and on my yoga mat. I can always tell how my mental health is by my ability to make it to my mat. 
The last two months, I have finally made it back to a consistent practice, though Shavasana remains a least favorite place of mine. The thumping of my heart while I lie in repose and the attempt to clear my mind is just a lot for me to handle, so I try to name thinking as the thoughts come. I try to watch them go by. I try my best to simply observe and be without judgment even as the non-yoga mat version of myself totally judges this overthinker, this person who cannot succeed at what some call the most difficult yoga pose, lying still with a blank mind at the end of practice. The animals who I've had the pleasure of observing from my mat in the six o'clock hour have been helping me make sense of our collapse, my collapse. Last month, when the lake was still frozen, I thought I saw a fox crossing from across the way. As it got closer to our side of the shore, after I yelled about it down to Vimo, and she saw it, yelled back up, Wow, that's really big for a fox. And as the figure gained clarity as it neared, we simultaneously recognized it was in fact a coyote, trotting without a care in the world. It didn't meander, it didn't waver. It seemed purposeful in where it was heading. The confidence she had in crossing the lake was admirable. My irregular, irregular heartbeat quickens any time I go somewhere that's new to me. Sometimes, even when I'm going somewhere I'm familiar with, the feeling of not belonging, not being allowed, will strike me. But this coyote, she belonged, without question. Even as the humans began to frantically gather the instruments to keep her away from our chicken friends, the coyote did not waver from her journey. Later, Vimo looked up that one way you can tell the tracks of a coyote, as different from a similar dog's paw print, is in the way they travel. Dogs tend to travel like my irregular, irregular heartbeat, weaving in and out, going hither and yon, sniffing anything that comes their way, whereas coyotes travel in a straight line. Last week, I did yoga with a beaver. I was doing my standing posture series, breathing calmly, stretching my body and my abilities, when I noticed a large mass rustling in the sumac. I figured it was Poncho, our large gray cat who prowls the grounds. But as the animal continued to travel closer to being seen by my third floor perch, I realized it was a beaver. Vimo and I recently noticed a mowed down grove of small trees that provided evidence of the nearby creature. On this morning, the beaver joined me at yoga. She slithered down into the pond and did a couple of laps, and then headed back into the sumac path and worked her way back to the lake. My, my, aren't you a busy little beaver, I muttered as I watched her. I love that beaver is allowed to work to her heart's content. What is rest to a beaver? Probably glorious in her den. Does beaver start in the night when she hears a weird sound? Or does she snooze peacefully like Vimo, safe in the dark, free in her spirit? Here's what I know, or rather what I believe I know. Coyote and beaver are likely not up at night worrying about the state of abortion access in the United States. Though to be frank, many of us have been worried about this for more than just the last week. Just as we've been worried about our transgender friends being able to access the health care they need, just as we have worried and worked to protect ourselves and our friends to be able to survive a peaceful assembly protesting police violence. Just as we have about our friends being able to resist pipelines in hopes of upholding treaty rights signed into law years ago. Just as we have inter 
any number of social challenges that we have either gained or lost in the last four decades. It is a burden to be able to see a connecting line between anti-abortion organizing by the conservative religious right and the lapse of the Voting Rights Act. It is a burden to see the thread that runs from the whittling down of affirmative action to school segregation to gerrymandering. It's a burden to witness, to grieve, to mourn, to have to work for some sense of freedom for us all. I began this newsletter practice two years ago as a way for me to process my private feelings in public. This time, two years ago, we were in a different yet similar place in terms of this pandemic. Some of you, dear readers, now listeners, have been with me since the beginning of this project. Two years ago, I shared, I would commit to a year of writing and reassess. Here we are, another year has passed. I'm committing to another one, with new innovations to keep me busy and more hope in the lessons that showing up, staying present, observing and learning can bring peace in the collapse. There will be art at the end of the world. There must be. And connection and joy and life finding a way. I wish you the calm of the dear trio that graze the land outside our living room window these days. The confidence of coyote, the industriousness of beaver, the calm of a sleeping and well-rested Vimo, the joy of birdsong, pleasure in the ruins to fuel our fight today and tomorrow, as long as this planet will have us. Thank you for joining me for the audio version of the Art of KCF newsletter. Please remember, there's more to see, experience, and partake in through the written version of this newsletter. Link to sign up for that is in the show notes. Remember, you can join me on the 15th and the last day of every month exploring what I call the joy of creative inquiry.